Hello and welcome to our worship for today. It's the first Sunday in Advent and some of our hymns and readings will reflect that. But as well, appropriately maybe with Christmas coming up, we're going to be thinking about giving. Of course, Christmas is a time when we give and Christmas is a time when we remember God's great gift. We're going to think a bit more about what our response to God is and what the blessings are of being able to give to those whom the Father loves. Let's sing our first hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some
Change my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So here's Psalm 122, a song of ascents. A song that the pilgrims would sing as they climbed the hill towards Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that's bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Lord, your church is our Jerusalem. Your church not as a building, but as a fellowship of people worldwide. And we pray for the peace of that fellowship of people. We pray for ourselves, we pray for those we know, we pray for those that we don't know. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we praise you for that Jerusalem of which we are a part. We thank you, Lord, for that worldwide church of believers who worship you this day. And we praise you for the new Jerusalem, which one day will come down out of heaven and where we will dwell forever in peace and in your presence. Thank you, Lord, and grant us your peace today. Amen. And our reading picks up that theme of the future Jerusalem. This is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. The word that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war. Anymore. 
we pick up that prayer as we listen to the hymn God as with silent hearts we bring to mind we bring to mind all those things for which we want to pray pray for the world we recognize how hate and war diminish all of us we pray Lord that you will bring peace in the troubled parts of the world we think of course of Ukraine and we think of the ongoing war in Syria and the other kind of wars that happen wars of injustice and wars of poverty and the struggles that people have to survive Lord humankind is diminished and that's not your desire for us your desire is that we should grow and flourish and that we should experience love and companionship and supporting one another Lord we bring to mind just now those parts of the world where there is trouble and turmoil 
Lord, we bring to mind the sufferings of those in poverty and in famine. And Lord, as we have just seen the end of the COP29 meetings, we bring to you the big issue of climate and the struggles and the sufferings that these changes in climate are even now bringing on many people and which can only, it seems, get worse. We pray that there will be the will among nations to do what's needed to be done and that we will have a worldwide view of all these things and these problems, these issues, and that we will see a world renewed. Lord, we know that it's only on your return that we'll see that fully, re fully restored. But Lord, we pray that even now in our lifetimes, we will, through your spirit, through your power, through prayer, be able to make progress towards the kind of world that you desire to see and the kind of world we want to live in. Lord, we pray for our world. Amen. We say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. We hear our third reading, which starts to bring us on to the main theme I want to bring to us today. It's from Luke chapter 6 verses 27 to 38. I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit's that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend from those to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. 
Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. We sing, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The passage we just read contains one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It's a verse that is often quoted by people with no Christian or biblical background at all. It's seen as the way to live. It's actually called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It speaks to us about sympathy and empathy. It's the only way any society can avoid falling into the kind of chaos we were thinking about earlier, hatred and war. It's a great rule for families. It's a great rule for communities. It's a great rule for making personal decisions about how to treat people around you. You may have heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? That's not in the Bible, although it's not a bad rule. But what is in the Bible is 
do to others as you would have them do to you? What would I like people to do to me? How would I like people to speak to me? How would I like people to treat me when I've offended them? So do that. We also read, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. That's more about the way God treats us when we do the right thing. The Lord's Prayer, of course, says, forgive us as we forgive others. If we emulate God in our hearts and in the way we treat those around us, God will offer the same grace to us. Forgiveness, blessing, goodness. And that applies to our giving as well. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. So we're going to think today about giving. It's appropriate as Christmas approaches and particularly as this Christmas approaches when there are so many people in our communities, in our country and around the world for whom this Christmas is a time of dread, not a time of cheer. If you wanted an overall heading for what I'm going to say today, it would be this, giving really is much more about us than about the people who are the recipients of our giving, important as that is. We sometimes conflate or mix up giving with fundraising and getting money for different purposes and the needs around and the the need for the church to have money and all these all these different needs and we sometimes can be overwhelmed with the level of need but in the end it's the impact on our hearts which is I would suggest almost most critical giving is something which makes us more like Christ and makes us more like the people that we want to be. So let's have a little think about giving today. We're going to think about why we give, how we give, and then we're going to focus a little bit on the rewards of giving. We don't give in order to get. That's a very old Christmas thing, isn't it? You have to give uh, Auntie Vera a gift because she always gives you one. But there are good reasons for giving. There are rewards for giving, and we'll see that later on. But first of all, why do we give? Well, first of all, out of gratitude, out of gratitude to God. It's interesting in the Old Testament, you'll find lots and lots of sacrifices, and they're all listed there in, uh, in the, the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. But in amongst them, there was an offering which was just called a thank offering. It had no particular ceremonial purpose. It wasn't for getting rid of sin. It wasn't for getting rid of guilt. It wasn't for putting things right with a neighbour. It was simply to express thanks. Our primary response to God for all his gifts can't really get beyond just offering thanks, being grateful. And since God has no need of his gifts, in order to give back in response and in gratitude to God, we give to those he cares for. We give to his service. We give 
to provide a place of worship as the people did in the Old Testament and, and for preaching the gospel. But we give also to those who are the poor and needy, the ones he loves the most. In Matthew 25, Jesus says to all those who've clothed the poor, fed the hungry and visited the sick and the prisoners, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. If you want to show gratitude to God by a thank offering, then offer that thank offering to his family, to those he loves, to those he cares for, the poor, the needy, the prisoner, the sick. And in doing that, you are reaching straight into the heart of God and giving him what he wants to receive. So gratitude is the first reason we give. And then thinking again about the, the Old Testament, the people of Israel came out of Egypt and wandered in the desert. And while they were there, they built a tent of meeting at God's um, requirement, at God's plan. And then when they arrived in their own country, eventually under Solomon, a temple was built. And in both cases, the people gave they showed responsibility for the community they were part of by giving sacrificially for the buildings and the contents, gold, jewels, fine linens, skills and labour. They expressed their community by sharing in the costs of that community, you could say. That's why we contribute to the cost of being a church and being a, being a circuit. In the New Testament, though, it's much more about people than buildings. Great verse in Acts says this. This is right at the beginning of the church. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Later on, Jerusalem was experiencing a famine. And the church there was suffering, so Paul encouraged believers in the newer churches he'd founded to collect and send money for their relief. Here's a story. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. That's in Acts chapter 11. You can see from Paul's letters that this became an established practice. He writes to the Corinthians, Now concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of each week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn, so the collections need not be taken when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send any whom you approve with letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Our community extends beyond Little Sutton, beyond Wirral. We're part of a worldwide body, many parts of which are suffering we express community by sharing with them in their need.
And then the third reason for giving is compassion. For many of us, I'm sure this is the main reason. God is a God of compassion and he's put that same compassion into our hearts. Jesus looked at the crowds, it says, and had compassion on them. And it's a very unusual person who can't look at suffering without feeling compassion and without feeling the desire to do something to alleviate that suffering. And in doing that, we're being Christ-like. So gratitude, community, compassion. These are the reasons we give. And then Paul talks a lot in Corinthians about how we give. It's actually in the second letter to the Corinthians he says a lot about this. A lovely passage there that's really helpful. First of all, give willingly, give cheerfully and give rationally. Each of you must give as you've made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's not right to be pressurised into giving, to be emotionally blackmailed into giving. It's right to consider what we should give, to make a good choice in our heart, to, to hear what God says and to say, this is what we're going to do. And then to do that willingly and cheerfully. And then generously. The one who sows sparingly, Paul says, will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. So that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. God loves you to be cheerful. He loves you to be generous too. And then, of course, Jesus talks in one passage about giving privately or secretly. Giving is not a public display. It's not a competition. It's something to be done secretly. Whenever you give alms, Jesus said, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Pharisees had their reward. Their reward was pride, self-satisfaction, public acclaim, our Father has much better rewards for us. Here's just some of them. The first is the reward of being like our Father. You remember Jesus talking about uh, people who, if your child asks for bread, will you give a stone? If a child asks for a fish, will you give a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is a God who wants to give good things to us. And as we give, as we give generously, willingly and cheerfully, we are being like our Father. 
And then one you may not have thought of. Breaking the power of money. Jesus again in Luke chapter 16. No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Remember the old word mammon. You cannot serve God and wealth. Wealth is a god. Wealth is an idol. Wealth wants to bring you to be a worshipper. There are clearly people who are worshippers of money. Christmas is coming with the perhaps the most famous Christmas story of all, apart from the Bible one, the story of Scrooge. Think of the vision he has right at the beginning where Jacob Marley appears to him wrapped in chains and talking about how through his lifetime he forged these chains which have now dragged him down. And think of the way Scrooge was daily forging chains for himself, chaining himself to the worship of wealth. Now we may not be quite like Scrooge, but wealth is an idol. And under the guise of just being careful with our money, under the guise of, well, we have to have something for a rainy day, we have to have something to leave to our children, there's all sorts of very right things we can do, but we can easily tip over into doing them for the wrong reason. Because actually, secretly in our hearts, our idol is wealth and our comfort and our security is wealth. Remember the man who had a bumper harvest and he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill my barns and I'm going to take my ease I've now got my wealth I've got my security and Jesus says well that night his soul was required of him giving is a way of breaking the power of money giving money away is saying you're not that important to me I'm not going to worship you I'm not going to bow down before you I'm not going to tie myself up in chains. I'm not going to serve two masters. I'm going to serve one master and it's not going to be wealth. It's going to be God. And then another reward is building up treasure in heaven. You remember the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says he's kept all the commandments and he just wants to know how to get to heaven and it says jesus looking at him loved him and said you lack one thing go sell what you own and give money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come and follow me it says the man went away sad because he had a lot of money he was very rich and his wealth was his security his wealth as we've just said had chained him to the point where if it's a choice between heaven or wealth, he, he couldn't make that choice. Jesus says in another place, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into their eternal homes. 
our wealth can do so much good for others, but it can do so much good for ourselves as well, because investing in the kingdom of God, investing in the lives of the poor, investing in the growth of the gospel, these are all ways of investing in heaven. Jesus particularly said to this rich young man, sell what you own and give money to the poor. And that's always got to be a priority that we that we think about and focus on. Who are the ones who need what we have? Invest your wealth in them. And then another reward is blessings in our lives today this is a tricky one because we're all only too aware of the way you can go off the straight and narrow track with this one and fall into the trap of what's called the prosperity gospel which is all about giving to god in order that god will give us material blessings in this world but the thing is fallacies of that sort or or wrong attitudes of that sort they arise because actually buried down below there is a there is a truth there see what paul says the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully and god is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity now, if you're like me, you you kind of regard that primarily as being, oh, well, God will give spiritual blessings and they're, they're the best blessings of all. He doesn't say that. He says you'll be enriched in every way for your great generosity. Here, I think, is the key. You don't give in order to get. You don't invest £100 in the poor in order that God will give you a thousand pounds back that you can spend on yourself. That's missing the point. But also don't fear that you can give too much. John Wesley famously died with very little because whatever he got in, he gave away. God will supply all your needs and more if you are generous. But then the abundance that God promises that he will give us is still not for hoarding. It's not for ourselves. It's for reinvestment. Paul says, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There are people who have a special blessing from God to, to be rich and to give their riches away and to make use of that. Most of us are not in that situation. We work with what we have we give what we have we give what we're able and god supplies our needs but it's in, encouraging in 
in these days that there's such a move among extremely wealthy people, millionaires and billionaires, to do some good with their money and not to hoard it for themselves. I must be honest, once you've got $50 billion, um, what's a couple more billion here, here, there, here or there? Um, but you can invest what you have in a way which will have dramatic effects. Bill Gates, of course, has famously done this with the Bill Gates Foundation and billions of pounds have been invested in, uh, third world, in the third world, particularly the fight against malaria. And Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, who uh, is an investor and, again, one of the two or three richest people in the world, they got their heads together and they made a commitment that they would use their money, that they would give their money away in their lifetime. And they just set about persuading others to do the same. And there's actually a website where, uh, don't bother looking it up because you've got to be at least a millionaire to, to join. But it's for people who say, I will commit during my lifetime to give away the vast majority of my wealth to those who need it more. That's encouraging. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, he got divorced a couple of years ago and his ex-wife had massive amounts of shares in Amazon and she was worth billions of pounds when the, the marriage payoff came. She married a teacher and uh, they set about and they said, right, now to give it all away. Isn't that a great attitude to have? The abundance that God gives us is for reinvestment in good things, not for hoarding. So although none of us are millionaires, as far as I know, unless Jeff Bezos is actually tuning into this, Nevertheless, what we have, we can invest and God will continue to bless us materially in order to have more to give. Make use of what you have, trade with what you have and like in the parable of the talents, you'll receive even more in order to do even more in the future. So, Lots and lots of stuff in that. And you always have to finish with a, a kind of a personal application. I suppose a lot of it's had a personal application all the way through. But to summarise everything we've said, here's four things that we can apply in our lives. First of all, giving is the most sound investment we can make. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then secondly, the way we give is maybe the best guide to what's in our hearts. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then, Generosity pays dividends in this world and in the next. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure 
you get back. And the final application really, I suppose to summarize the lot is, so just give, give cheerfully, give generously, give secretly, give intelligently, give faithfully, because I can guarantee you will never be able to outgive God. Amen. Let's watch a short video about having a kind of a, a generous heart and being outward towards those in need and the kind of impact it might have on you.
Let's take two lines from that hymn we've just listened to. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Be thou my inheritance now and always. May that be true for each one of us. God bless you.